Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste 360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Enjoy this podcast today. It's one of our sessions from Waste Expo Together Online. It was a keynote called Plugging Into Opportunities in Fleet Electrification, and it's really awesome. You hear from Commissioner of New York City Department of Sanitation, the City of Los Angeles, Solid Resource Manager, Mack Trucks, BYD, and New Way. So you get both sides of the coin here, and they talk about uh, the opportunities and challenges that come with an electrified vehicle, you know, like battery life, power management, driver training and awareness, you know, everything you need to understand what's happening under this new domain. And like I said, it covers both sides of the country and folks who are actually doing it and who have vehicles out in the real world. This episode, and let me know what you think. Greetings and welcome. Thank you all for joining us for today's Waste Expo Together Online session, Refuse Truck Fleet Electrification, brought to you by Waste Expo. My name is Andy Campbell, and I'm part of the supplier development team at Sourcewell, and I will be your moderator today. I'm thrilled to be hosting this session and look forward to hearing all the great things our distinguished panelists have to say about fleet electrification in the municipal solid waste industry. Now, finally, I'm excited to introduce our panelists today. Our first panelist is Rocco DeRico, Deputy Commissioner with the New York City Department of Sanitation. Welcome, Rocco. Oh, thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here today. Thanks for the honor. Absolutely. Next, we have Robert Potter, Sanitation Solid Resource Manager 2 at Los Angeles Sanitation and Environment with the City of Los Angeles. Welcome, Robert. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Next, we have Jonathan Randall, Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Mack Trucks. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. Next is John Guerra, Director with BYD Motors, LLC. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here, Andy. And last but certainly not least, Don Ross, Vice President of Sales and Marketing with New Way Trucks. Welcome, Don. Hey, Andy. Good morning. It's great to be here. All right. Well, before excuse me, before we pose our first question to the panel, I'd like to set the stage for our time together today. Although our panel includes representatives from two of our nation's largest cities, the content they will be sharing is scalable in nature. Size does not necessarily matter when dealing with budget, goals, politics, infrastructure, etc. Scale may be different but all elements and aspects discussed today are transferable. The structure of our discussion will unfold in two sections with each panelist having the opportunity to add their thoughts. The first half of our discussion will be questions focused more towards the municipal perspective with the OEM representatives adding their thoughts after Rocco and Robert have given their initial thoughts on the question. 
The second half will be more manufacturer focused with the OEM representatives giving their thoughts first with our municipal panelists adding their thoughts at the end. All right, enough of me talking. Let's get to our discussion, which is why you're here. Robert, let's start with you. The city of Los Angeles and the state of California as a whole have always been very proactive in environmental initiatives. Your mayor, Eric Garcetti, has set forth an aggressive carbon neutral goal and is leading a collaborative effort across the country called the Climate Mayors Coalition, a group of mayors committed to climate change. With that as our backdrop, would you please tell our audience a bit more about that and how it's impacting your community's decision to begin the process of electrifying your refuse truck fleet? Of course, Andy, and thank you for the lead in. Um, LA Sanitation Environment is the lead agency for the city of LA when it comes to environmental issues. Uh, as you stated, our mayor is very active in the climate uh, arena. Uh, he set goals of being carbon neutral in LA by 2050. Um, we also uh, uh, he also released LA's Green New Deal, which which had a lot of uh, drivers in there that are going to be uh, relative to the electric fleet, which is going to allow us to reduce our carbon footprint. Um, LA as as um, LA Sanitation has also made equipment. Uh, I mean, a, a commitment by 2035 to have an entire electric fleet uh, for sanitation. Uh, this this is is driven by a lot of factors. Um, one of them, one of the key factors is um, environmental justice. Right, we're looking at, you know, there's a lot of underserved communities in LA that tend to to burden uh, burden the landfills and the operations, and there's a lot of trucks driving into those areas that are that are potentially uh, carbon emitters, and we need to reduce that uh, to our our uh, Angelinos and ensure that we're providing you know a safe environment for for everybody. Um, uh, we also are looking at the long-term sustainability and using of renew renewable energies, such as electricity. I mean, we made a commitment years ago in LA Sanitation to the um, natural gas fleet. I mean, 86% of our fleet currently is running on natural gas. So we run a very clean fleet, one of the largest clean fleets, uh, fleets in America um, as a municipality, uh, but we're gonna go even farther and, and commitment is to have uh, an electric fleet by 2035. Excellent, thank you very much. Uh, Rocco, Mayor de Blasio has an equally aggressive plan to reach carbon neutral. How has that driven New York City's decision to electrify its refuse truck fleet? Well, obviously, first of all, let me just say that I'm honored and proud that Max selected us to launch the first battery electric 72,000 pound truck in the nation. It's a major, major milestone for the nation and a giant step for Mac and Sanitation's partnership. Obviously, this is a tough application and on our path to zero tailpipe emissions, we look forward to testing and demonstrating that truck in the very, very near term. And of course, the durability, when I, when I talk about testing, I talk about durability, charge time, and noise in particular. I, I, from what I'm gathering and from, from what I've seen, this truck is extremely, extremely quiet. In fact, you have to add noise to, to make the truck safe. So, so with that said, Mayor de Blasio has initiated a, a bill that it's called One New York City requires an 80% reduction in overall greenhouse gases by 2050 over the 2005 baseline. But in addition, in February of 2020, 
he signs Executive Order 53, which requires us to be all electric and carbon neutral by 2040. So obviously, that's a tall task. We have a, a lot to do. There's a lot in front of us. 2040 is, you know, it seems like a long way off, but it's really only three life cycles. We have an eight-year life cycle here in the city. So the hope is that we can get this pilot truck out there, be successful with Mac, and then start moving it to some large numbers so that we can replace our entire fleet over the three life cycles. And by the way, our entire fleet, meaning our, on our refuse side, is about 2,500 trucks. Our total fleet is 7,500. Of the 7,500, 4,500 are heavy duty, 2,500 are refuse. So right now we're concentrating on refuse and and uh, and so far initial results have been very good. The range seems good. My biggest problem right now is dealing with the infrastructure issue, which I'll talk about a little bit later. All right, now let's hear from our OEMs uh, on this same question. I'm gonna kick things off first with John from BYD. John, help us understand what BYD is doing to help its municipal customers electrify their refuse truck fleets. Sure, thanks, Andy. Uh, John Guerra with BYD Electric Trucks, and we uh, build a full line of medium duty and heavy duty electric trucks and chassis, including the 8R all electric refuse chassis. We work with municipalities to figure out how to achieve their sustainability goals by deploying electric trucks in refuse collection operations, helping to reduce emissions, reduce operating costs, increase reliability and provide clean air for communities. So right now we do have a full line of trucks ready to go to work uh, in the United States. And these trucks can be uh, deployed into normal collection routes, uh, providing clean zero emission collection services for communities around the US. Great, thank you, John. Now let's move to Don Ross. Don, how is uh, New Way Trucks working with its customers as they look to electrify their refuse truck fleets. Thanks, Andy. You know, it was about three years ago when Newway got involved in electrification. Two of our longtime customers, Recology and Green Waste, came to us looking for some support for their battery electric projects. Both of these haulers, along with some of our other customers, did so because of existing collection contract requirements. As we all know, these types of government mandates typically drive adoption of new innovations, and this leads to continual improvement in the technology from the private sector as that demand increases. You know, we've already seen battery life improve in just the last couple of years, and it'll continue to get better. Compaction equipment will become more efficient, and overall performance will increase. And, you know, interestingly, we're hearing from a couple of our customers, you know, historically, Compressed natural gas has been kind of the go-to technology for sustainable fleets. And yet it seems that CNG could now become a stepping stone technology towards zero emissions. You know, some of our existing CNG customers are looking at electric, but we have a number of municipal customers that never converted to CNG. And they're thinking today that rather than stopping at CNG, they're going straight to battery electric. So I would just encourage communities that maybe haven't made that investment in CNG yet to look at battery and see if it helps meet their goals. And I'm going to talk a little bit more later about community goals. That's great. Thank you very much, Don. 
And obviously, last but not least, Jonathan from Mack Trucks. Uh, Rocco gave you a, a beautiful introduction to start our time here. Uh, would love to hear from your perspective on this as well. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Rocky, for the, the kind words to start with. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, you know, Mac's been around and, and been involved in the, the refuse business since 1900. And so, you know, we've, we've celebrated 120 birthdays. You don't do so without some level of innovation and meeting customer needs. And you heard in the opening uh, from both Los Angeles and New York, two of the largest municipal collection fleets in the U.S., that they have targets in the near future to be 100% electric. And this is the way the segment is going. And within refuse, it makes perfect sense. Closed loop application, heavy stop and go to take advantage of the regenerative braking. I think thousands of unique stopping occurrences every day. There's opportunity to save on uh, maintenance costs. There's opportunity to better provide a better driver uh, environment and experience. There's opportunity to provide a better social experience just in the in the surrounding areas. Uh, so electrification provides a lot of advantages uh, to the industry, but then also to society in general. And Mac is certainly going to be part of that, not only as Mac trucks, but as you look at just our group and our global group, uh, you know, our desire to continue to drive towards zero emissions uh, globally uh, and be a responsible corporate partner there. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jonathan. All right, so let's move on to our next question. Uh, Rocco, as New York City has been implementing Mayor de Blasio's strategic environmental goals and initiatives, what obstacles did you discover along the way and how have you overcome them? And I have a follow-up question to that as well, but let's start with that. Okay. Well, well, the first thing is obviously the, the technology itself initially seems to be uh, acceptable to us, but we have a range issue. We have a concern about range in that we plow snow. So and I, one of the major obstacles I have is to be able to get through a 12-hour shift during a snowstorm. And we haven't been able to test that aspect of the vehicle technology, but we'll certainly get to that this year, I'm sure. Um, that's the first thing. Secondly, the infrastructure issue, meaning the facility issue and the power requirements is a major, major, major obstacle or major burden uh, in that you need 480 volts in your garages to charge these, these vehicles quickly. Um, I only have a handful of garages that have the power requirements, so I've been in contact with the local utilities, and obviously the, the obstacle in that front is that we need grant money to upgrade the power in those facilities. So it's the range on the truck, it's the it's the power requirements in the garages to shrink the down the, the charge time, and then of course it's the cost associated with that infrastructure upgrade. Um, how we're going to overcome it? Well, obviously we we have obviously we collaborate with this group right here. We collaborate with utilities. We collaborate with the with City Hall and all the local authorities, and I'm sure we'll be able to get some sort of grant money for the infrastructure. But then I'm faced, lastly, with space. So a typical garage for me has 50 trucks. And so as we progress and as we get to a point where we're really doing very well, we're making progress, and we, we have 50, 100, 200 trucks, which is where we need to be in a year or two at, at the very least, um, the, the space to charge these trucks 
is going to pose a problem. So what I see is that I'm going to have to have spare batteries pre-charged so I could swap them out as opposed to charging the truck and waiting for the battery to charge. Rather than do so, we'd be exchanging batteries. So so that that I think will solve the space problem. So back to the back to the 480 volt issue. In some cases, the pipe that feeds the facility is not large enough. And that could be a major problem for the utility. And those things are being evaluated as we speak. I don't think any of these obstacles are going to become a permanent obstacle. I just think that transitionally we'll be sweating along the way, but we will get there. Um, obviously, this environmental challenge that we have is, is a must-do. It has to happen. And as I said earlier, we only have 19 years to get it done, which is three life cycles. So we got to move this along quickly. So we will get that infrastructure issue solved. We will get the plowing issue solved and, and we'll move on to where we need to be. There's no question that we're going to be by 2040. We're going to achieve the goal that we need to that we need to achieve. Excellent. Thank you. And the follow up question, and you, you kind of touched on some of this a, a little bit already, but have you encountered any of these obstacles yet that just seem to be insurmountable at this moment and, and you just haven't been able to figure out how to get past them? No, actually not. We have two facilities. I actually have a BEV sweeper as well. So I have a, I have two garages right now that are wired and, and fitted with charges that are powered by 480. Um, and because I was able to get that done quickly, I don't see that to be a permanent obstacle. We'll get past that. You know, like I say, for me, at this point, it's the time to get to a snowstorm. I need to wait till the winter, get the truck in the street, plow it, plow it up, and see if we can get through a 12-hour shift. At that point, once again, that truck will probably go out immediately thereafter. So we'll be swapping batteries within the following hour, and then that truck would need to go out again. So it's, it, it's, it's, again, it sounds like a tall task, but I think it's doable, provided we have spare batteries and the space to store them. I love the optimism that you guys show in New York City. That's great. Thank you, Rocco. Let's move on to Robert now. Uh, Robert, what, uh, what are you seeing from this perspective in terms of the obstacles that you've discovered along the way and how have you overcome those? And then similarly, have you discovered any that have been seemingly insurmountable yet? Or do you guys carry the same sunny optimism in, in Southern California? Well, we don't encounter a lot of the same problems that Rocco does. Uh, snow is not a big issue in LA, so so we're not working on that front. And we do have a, uh, we have some obstacles, but we have been able to overcome them. I think that some of our, our major issues that we looked at was performance, duty cycle. How long can the vehicle be in the field? Um, we run about 700 uh, automated side loaders every day in LA, and and they pick up uh, anywhere from 700 to 1,200 uh, containers a day. They travel 100 miles. So all those, and then you have the packing and everything else that's associated with the electrical, you know, demand. So those were challenges, and 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 the the battery technology currently seems to be. Um, you know, advancing so that we can meet those goals. Um, budget was a big issue, right? I mean, 
The vehicles are not as uh, are are a little more expensive. We anticipate that those prices will drop as we go into larger production, just like with um, when we were in the CNG. You know, when we first went into CNG, those trucks were a lot more expensive. But as you started to mass produce and and market them, they were they they became the prices came down. And and one of the challenges with budgets is you know is it's not looking at it just at the value of the vehicle, but the you know the long term maintenance. The um, cost of fuel and how you uh, you you leverage those things to show that the vehicles are pretty similar in price, right? I mean, we're not going to spend as much on on gas. We're not going to um, you know have a higher maintenance cost. Um, we we believe that to be true. I mean, it's, it's a fairly new, you know, the class eights are fairly new, so we're going to be learning as we go on how much the maintenance costs are and how how much that offsets the the total cost. Um, Rocco hit it head on with the the infrastructure. I mean. You know, when you know, he was saying 50 to 60 in in a, a facility. We run sometimes 140 to 160 trucks in one facility. So making the infrastructure available to charge all those vehicles is is a little challenging. The 480, yes, but then your 480 times 160 vehicles, it kind of changes the game. And then, you know, um, you don't know who who's going to provide the best uh, vehicle or if uh, you're you know who's going to you know you're going to purchase from. So the charging infrastructure is a challenge because you don't want to have five different types of chargers in your facility. You want to have some sort of universal setup where you can you can utilize a single charger that can charge multiple vehicles that may be across many manufacturers. Um, the other challenges are, you know, the capacity, right? I mean, we, we've looked at some of the class eight uh, vehicles and knowing that the batteries are heavier, you know, there's a couple thousand pounds there are uh are, are going to change the ability to load a truck. I mean, our typical loads on a truck are about eight or nine tons. Uh, if the capacity is, if the batteries are heavier, it's going to reduce our capacity, which will re require more trips. Um, so, you know, and we're lucky in California that we we do have a very environmentally conscious uh, agenda here. And so a lot of our, our legislators are, are, are adding, you know, tonnage to the vehicles. I mean, our, our cap used to be 80,000. Now it's 82,000 if it's an electric vehicle. So it gives us some 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 comfort that that not only are we working and striving to get to our goal, but also the people that we work with are helping us along the way so that we can meet our goals. Um, and then and then collaboration. I mean, we I mean, and then no, nobody likes to talk about it, but we're a union. We're a union shop in L.A. So we work with our drivers to ensure that they're on board as we go through this process and, and they're they're interacting with us and giving us, you know, feedback and input to ensure that 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 when it's in the field it'll be successful and i don't think Excellent. that we've actually had any any unsurmountable or or overwhelming challenges the electric grid is obviously a challenge but we work with our own partners we you know city of la has the department of water and power and they're they're partners with us on on meeting these goals so Collaboration certainly helps when you're trying to overcome challenges, uh, no doubt about it. Thank you very much, Robert. Jonathan, let's uh, go to you from Mac's perspective. How have you guys been partnering with your municipal customers as they have not only discovered uh, challenges along the way, but maybe even knowing going into things what might need to be done? And, and how does Mac help their customers with that? Sure, thanks for the question. <clears throat> so first of all, both Rocky and Robert today, a great job covering the challenges because many of the challenges that they described are the same ones we as an OEM experience. You know, first and foremost, we want to make sure that the application of the truck or the truck is able to perform in the application without any performance degradation moving from diesel or CNG to electric. 
and and that's one of the first challenges we try to overcome and then making sure again you know to robert's point the weight uh, we think we've done a decent job being weight neutral um, but we're still challenged with uh, power density at the batteries and then certainly the cost power density is improving every day cost is coming down as it becomes um, uh, more and more uh, adopted and so you know fleets like Los Angeles fleets like New York, it's really important that they continue to invest and show leadership in this uh, just to drive the continued, again, cost and, and manufacturability of, of this product. Uh, the important things that we work with when we work with the municipal fleets and, and quite honestly, the, the private collectors is understanding the routes, understanding the nature of their business unique to their, their collection. So the topography, the number of stops, how frequently they need to come to the garage, how frequently they need to go to a landfill, um, and then making sure that we're very engaged with the routing and, and where these trucks are going to be going and how they're going to be utilized. That really helps us provide the best solution from an asset standpoint. Uh, and then when we dive into that, then we're really able to then provide insights into total cost of ownership, um, charging capacity, and how frequently we're going to need to charge range uh, and then also partnering with and people talked about collaboration with providers from the utilities and uh, and charging stations uh, you'll hear it more and more I, I think it'll be a consistent theme throughout from all of these is going to be infrastructure and the ability for the infrastructure to handle mass adoption of electric vehicles and we're not just obviously talking about adoption of electric vehicles for commercial right you've also got the four-wheelers jumping in here as well that are going to be draining or or drain put a drain on this system too. Jonathan, as a as a follow up to that, and and I'm gonna for both Don and John, uh, I I would like for you guys to uh, incorporate this into your responses as well. But how are you partnering with your municipal customers from a a, a financial perspective? Obviously, the the cost of these uh, vehicles is is greater than um, kind of the standard versions of these. Um, how are you guys partnering with your customers in, in overcoming the cost side of things? Do you guys, you know, help them, you know, find grants and 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 obtain financing and things of those natures? Do you do you help out with that? Yeah, absolutely. So again, and and when you've got leaders again, like the two fleets that are on the call today, driving that. You know, looking for uh, participation from local uh, governments is very important as part of the adoption of this. And so, you know, we've got a group of folks that work with the local municipalities and work quite honestly, again, with the local private companies where they're going to be operating to try to drive uh, drive uh, participation from the local governments. The other things that we consistently look at is, you know, asset value at termination you heard Rocky say that they work off of an eight-year cycle. Well, at the end of eight years, what is that truck worth? No one really knows at this point, right? And so that's where we come in and we step in and we say, okay, let's talk about different financing packages or let's talk about packaging hours or utilization versus asset costs, right? And charging per hour or charging per mile where a Mac then takes back the asset at the end and disposes of it. So we have an opportunity to test a lot of these different ways of going to market um, with fleets as, such as those that are on, on the call and others that are adopting early. And, and we'll find the right mix as this becomes more and more uh, um, an accepted uh, powertrain for, for 
not only refuse but but uh, commercial vehicles in general awesome thank you very much jonathan Don, from Newway's perspective, what are you guys doing to help partner with your municipal customers and, and overcome some of the challenges that uh, both Robert and Rocky have talked about today so far? So Andy, like others have mentioned here, and, and Jonathan just did a tremendous job really kind of uh, detailing what some of the obstacles are. You know, we're seeing the same things, battery range, weight, electric grid infrastructure, and of course, initial cost of acquisition, you know, before we even get to total cost of ownership, initial cost of acquisition, sticker price is sometimes, you know, a little bit sticker shock uh, for some smaller municipalities that really have environmental goals in mind that really want to try to do something different. Um, we have helped some of them identify grant funding that might be available. Um, but, you know, in the body manufacturing world, it's a little bit different. Uh, you know, most of the technology on the BEVs are chassis based, although we have, you know, we've dedicated a significant amount of engineering time to really make these work and optimize the bodies. You know, so our initial costs were a little higher compared to a diesel counterpart body. Each body to date so far has been somewhat prototypical, you know, but we have more engineering effort in there. You know, but we're finding that as more and more units are built and we start to develop standards, you know, to Robert's point, the more of these things we build, we're going to drive cost out of these uh, and they're going to be closer to their diesel counterparts. So not only are we helping our customers find some funding, but we're working internally to drive cost out at the same time. Thank you, Don. And finally, John, what are your thoughts from BYD's perspective on this subject? Thanks, Andy. For us, building trucks is the easy part. What we do is we work with municipalities closely to determine what their current operations look like and essentially do an operational uh, consulting evaluation to figure out how they're currently using their trucks and how we can transition that fleet to electric and support their current operations with a zero emission electric truck. In addition to that, we work with the local utilities, contractors, and the site to figure out how much electrical energy we will need to put into the fleet on a daily basis in order to support those operations. And that's been one of the, uh, the bigger challenges of working with large fleet deployments to determine what is the optimal way to charge and bring enough energy into that site in order to charge that fleet on a daily basis. One of the things that we do at BYD is work with closely with our partners, infrastructure partners and charging partners to optimize the charging solution. So we can offer a full turnkey fleet electrification solution, including all of the infrastructure uh, and charger and smart charging software that would be needed to provide enough energy into the fleet on a daily basis to successfully uh, run an electric uh, collection operation. A couple other items we look at is driver adoption and training. It's really important to get the drivers on board with deploying electric trucks. That's why we start early with training drivers and maintenance teams on how to uh, successfully drive, operate, maintain electric trucks. The maintenance on the electric trucks is significantly less 
than a traditional conventional engine, uh, than a conventional truck. And maintenance teams are typically surprised at how little maintenance is required. Uh, but driver adoption is uh, an important factor. And that's why when we initially deploy an electric truck fleet, we do focus on getting all the drivers up to speed and comfortable with the technology. Once they're comfortable with the technology, it's better than the alternative. It's very tough for a driver to go from an electric truck back to a conventional engine truck uh, because of the uh, benefits of electric, smooth operation, very nice power and torque delivery, clean, quiet operation. It's really a pleasure to drive an electric truck. But it is important to get their buy-in uh, initially so that we do have uh, good uh, adoption throughout the uh, operation. Excellent. Thank you very much, John. All right. So let's go back to Robert. Uh, Robert, for any municipality that is in our audience today, uh, and they are currently uh, considering electrifying their refuse truck fleet, what advice do you have for them, whether their timeline is near-term or long-term? Thanks, Andy. Uh, I would say that you know, and and a lot of the manufacturers touched on it. It's it's piloting the technology, right? So you look at what your needs are, and then you start working with the manufacturers on on a pilot, you know, a study on you know a few a few vehicles, maybe one if it's a smaller municipality. In our case, maybe ten or twelve vehicles. Um, so you can kind of work out the bugs, and and it's it's important is the collaboration between the municipality and the and the manufacturer, right? We're we're we're, you know, we're all trying to make that product that's going to work for everybody in the industry. So, you know, we're fortunate that we're in, you know, in a leadership role, being in a bigger municipality. But we know that the benefits down the road are going to benefit all municipalities from from large to small. So it's that collaboration and that constant back and forth with uh, with our staff and the engineering groups that are in the uh, the manufacturer realm to to make sure that those are 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 met. Um, I think that a big challenge is identifying funding early, right? So, cause you know, this is going to cost you money. It's going to be a little more expensive and it's going to have something. So, so when you're setting up your budgets, looking five and 10 years down the road, you have to allocate some funds for this anticipated cost uh, and, and be prepared to spend the money. The investment is worth it. I mean, it's an environmentally sound decision. So your investment is in, is in the environment and then a, a phased in approach. So, I mean, and and Rocco uh, will touch on it. You know, you, you you don't just jump in and buy a thousand vehicles tomorrow because you haven't had that pilot, that testing, and getting it working. So you work in, and and sometimes it's it's just, I mean, we've we've piloted vehicles at the light duty level. We know that they work. The medium duty is not as is not as challenging because it's 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 been progressing faster. Now we're moving to heavy duty. So it's a it's a phased in approach. I think is the, is the key to to being successful. Great, thank you. Rocco, from New York City's perspective, if you had any advice to give uh, a municipality that is considering this same journey that uh, that you're on right now, uh, what would what would that be? And just a reminder to unmute yourself. Okay, all right, good question. So first of all, obviously I, I have a truck and, and the fact of the matter is the year prior to me accepting the truck we did drive cycle analysis all over the city of new york we data logged in all the different terrains and different applications 
so that when the truck was built by Mac, it could handle all those different life uh, drive cycles, whether it's a hilly area, short stops, long stops, basket stops, corner stops, whatever the case may be, you first need to do your drive cycle analysis. And, and once that's done, that gets incorporated into the electronics of the vehicle. Um, if in fact you can get to that point, the next thing you need to worry about is once again, is range. It, it can't, I can't stress that enough. You need to have the range necessary to finish your route. Um, and in my case, in, in order to plow, and that might be phase two for me, but I'm very patient and I will get there. Uh, the next thing would be on the, on the facility side, you need to do a space assessment. Immediately, parallel with your data logging and your, and your dynamics with the truck manufacturer, you should be looking at your facilities for space assessments. Get your utilities in, talk to them, di have dialogue, find out how big the pipe is in the street, how much it's going to cost, where are the grants available. Um, you know, we have 80 facilities that house vehicles and they're spread out all over the city of New York and all the, all the five boroughs. So obviously the size of the pipe and the amount of power that's in those facilities varies from place to place. So you must get your utilities in early on. If you're serious about this, aside from the truck, and once again, not to be redundant, but the drive cycles and the data logging and the range, you need to assess your facility and your power supplies. The next thing you need to do is to seek out grants. Once again, another parallel. That's the third parallel. While you're doing the, the, the truck analysis and the assessment of space, you need to seek out grant money to see if you can get money for the differential costs. In my case, uh, congestion mitigation funding is probably going to play a part in some of my differential money, but I'm looking for other grants as well that Mac is helping us to pursue. Um, I think that's probably the primary things now, now piloting, assessing space, securing grants, getting the utilities in. And, and let me just say before I forget, someone mentioned earlier, um, you know, you got to get the drivers buy-in. The vehicle that we have, the drivers love it. It's, it's quiet, it's smooth, they can communicate with each other, which is something they were never able to do. You know, when you're driving a diesel down a city street, um, it's quite loud. Well, now with these trucks, there's, there's just no noise. You need white noise, actually, to for the public safety. And, and the drivers absolutely love the vehicle. So I don't have a problem on the driver's side. As far as maintenance is concerned, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think maintenance is going to shrink dramatically. I think, you know, not just on the powertrain side, but also on brake wear and, 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 and brake life and so on and so forth. I think there's going to be some significant savings in, on that front. And that would obviously make a big difference in terms of the final return on investment here. Um, and I don't know if there's anything else to add to that, but uh, let me just take a look here. So, oh, and, and of course, charge time. I forgot about charge time. So obviously, when you talk to the utilities, you need to understand the charge time associated with the batteries in the vehicles that you're buying and and consider having a spare a battery spare factor so that you could change them out rather than have to wait four or five hours to charge your truck just swap them in and out batteries in batteries out and you know that's the best advice that i have for for everyone i think it covers a gamut 
the whole gamut of concerns that we have. None of them are insurmountable. We're actually doing very, very well, and I'm looking forward to moving ahead. So, well, it. Rocco, thank you very much. We're going to have to probably, you know, post your phone number somewhere on a website because clearly you you know what you're doing, my friend, and, and people are going to want to pick your brain. <laughs> well, we got to we got to jump on it. You know, Mac, you know, Jonathan and I have been dealing, you know, Mac and, and sanitation. Well, first of all, we have a 30 year relationship, um, but we've been we've been doing this for years. We had hybrid Mac trucks some time ago, um, and it just so happened to have been at a time when natural gas was the in technology. Um, so even though the hybrid trucks work very well and I, I got 30 or 40 percent fuel improvements, we abandoned that in favor of in favor of pure electrification. So we've actually been down down uh, somewhat down this road, not entirely. Hybridization is qu quite a lot different than pure electric. But yeah. but, you know, we've taken baby steps and we're at a point now where, yes, we do know what we're faced with and we can certainly help the industry. Well, that's that's awesome. Thank you so much for your thoughts on that. Uh, from an OEM perspective, John, uh, what is uh, what's BYD doing to help uh, their municipalities with this regard when they're first looking at doing this and, and maybe reaching out to you guys? Uh, what are some of the early conversations that that you're having with those customers like? Thanks, Andy. And one of the things that we do is we work closely with our partners, such as New Way Trucks to build electric trucks with the bodies that operators are already using. This makes the transition a lot easier. So if you're using a, a new way 29 yard sidewinder or a Viper rear loader, we can build that truck on an electric platform with the existing body that you currently have in your fleet. This makes the transition for your maintenance teams and your drivers a lot easier because they already know how to use that body. And we're just really taking that body, the same body and putting it onto our electric platform. The 8R is designed to be able to accommodate many different body styles and uh, configurations. So it really helps with the adoption at the maintenance and the driver level, in addition to parts inventory, uh, to be able to use that existing body. Uh, on an electric chassis. Some of the other things that make things a lot easier are flexibility in charging. All BYD trucks come with multiple different charging standards. One of the main standards for heavy duty charging now is CCS1. And all BYD trucks come ready to go with that charging standard. CCS1 is something you're going to hear a lot about. A lot of third party charger manufacturers are currently building chargers to the CCS1 standard and BYD trucks all come ready to go on that CCS1 standard. We're happy working with multiple different partners on the infrastructure, charging and uh, service and support to make things easy for the end user to adopt electric vehicles into their fleet. Really what we want to do is be as flexible and, and as seamless as possible so that it's very little disruption to the operations. Really, it's just uh, putting an electric chassis into that existing operation and with the intent of making it easier and better than the alternative. 
large municipalities like New York and Los Angeles may have significant engineering and site planning capabilities. Other smaller municipalities may not have those capabilities. So we work pretty closely with all levels of uh, municipality to figure out what their current capability is. And uh, we can pretty much provide a, a solution based on what they're able to do on their own and what they need us to help them with. Great, thank you, John. Don, how is New Way uh, partnering with their municipal customers, especially when they're brand new to this and your conversations are early in the infancy stage? What advice are you providing them? Uh, thanks, Andy. You know, John brings up a great point. Complementing an existing fleet is really important. So the equipment is similar, certainly for driver adoption. Um, and we appreciate our relationship with BYD. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of excitement around it, right? Everybody wants to go electric and they might not be really looking at, you know, all the different factors that, you know, it takes to get there. You know, understand that although this technology is quickly getting traction, you know, 100% battery electric is still emerging as a technology for our industry. You know, we've heard a lot from everybody here today talking about all the implications of those things. You know, we've heard from customers, you know, in far remote places in very, very cold climates that might only want one truck and they insist on going battery electric. And, you know, it's not right for them just yet. There's still some things that need to be worked out. So I would just say, make sure it's right for your community at this time. You know, make sure the solutions meet your local goals and objectives. And, you know, those goals could be environmental, they could be economic, or they could be social. You know, and this is still evolving. You know, is this current technology physically right for your community? To Rocky's point, you know, route range, hills, you know, there's there's terrain issues that have to be considered, you know, but unquestionably, this technology is here for the long term. No question about that. Thank you very much, Don. And Jonathan, how about from your perspective with uh, Mac, obviously uh, you talked about your 100 plus year experience and in, uh, innovation. Uh, clearly, you've been uh, you guys have experience in partnering with your your clientele. Uh, what are you guys doing with regards to advising those early conversations with your municipal customers? Sure, and it's always tough to be the third OEM to go because I'll just say ditto. <laughs> um, you know, uh, quite honestly, everybody is is touched on the important things here. I guess I would say coming into Don's point, you know, flexibility, patience, and cooperation because we're going to have to do a lot of testing and so we're going to have to be flexible on where we where we deploy which routes we deploy uh, patience to rocky's point in that you know we're testing because we're going to find things out we're going to learn things and we're going to be able to adjust and adopt and then co cooperation we are going to be in your business and we're going to be asking for a lot of information we're going to have engineers riding along on the routes and tracing the routes through the over the airs and and producing a lot of data to make sure that we present the right solution to the challenge in front of us. And so it is a it is a holistic and it is a, a cooperative approach through a lot of different um, areas. So you're you know, you don't want to say you're hurting cats, but but to an extent, you know, you're talking to the OEM, you're talking with the body company, you're talking with the local utilities. You're talking with the municipalities, you're talking with the charging stations, you're trying to bring that all together into what is still a relatively new technology for commercial vehicles. Look, 
moving 80,000 pounds or 72,000 pounds down the road for a period of time uh, collecting trash with um, uh, parasitic loads is, is a, an interesting but laudable challenge. Uh, the only thing I can tell you as far as all that is, it's not if, it's when. Uh, there's a lot of other technologies that are certainly along the way when you talk about CNG and LNG and, and all the other things that have been tried. And some of those may take, uh, take hold, but we are certain that electrification is a long-term solution. And so we will get there as an industry. Uh, we, don't, we don't have a choice. Certainly, absolutely. All right, well, now let's kind of shift our focus a little bit here and let's move into um, kind of some of the more OEM focused questions. And uh, John, we're gonna start with you. Um, from your perspective, what are the most crucial priorities that a community should have when considering a switch to electric refuse trucks? Sure, so the most important priority is can the truck do the job? So can the truck complete the route and accomplish the job at hand? And that's why we work closely with the operations department to figure out exactly how those trucks are working right now, how the, what the route looks like, how many homes or stops they service, the distances, um, highway driving, local driving, exactly what that truck is doing to figure out if we put an electric truck into that operation, is it going to be able to do the job every day? And that's number one priority is make sure that if we put an electric truck into service, it's gonna do what everybody expects it to do. Uh, reliability and safety is the other one. Uh, one of the things that we focus on at BYD is battery safety. And BYD, we make our own batteries. Uh, it's our own proprietary battery chemistry. We use a iron phosphate chemistry, and we put our battery systems through the most rigorous safety testing in the world. Uh, many different types of destructive tests that we put our battery systems through, crushing, puncture, uh, external heat, uh, submersion in water, salt spray to make sure that when you're running the truck on the road in the winter time, salt doesn't corrode the system. Uh, all of these different types of tests we put our batteries through to make sure that they are the most reliable, longest lasting, and safest batteries in the world. Thank you very much. Don, from Newey's perspective, uh, what are you guys uh, talking to your customers about as far as advising them on crucial priorities that they should be considering when making a switch? You know, Andy, I'm gonna talk again about community goals. And, you know, Robert and Rocky have done a good job and, you know, both of their mayors had said, we will do this. Uh, and they've kind of set, uh, you know, they've drawn a line in the sand and said in so many years, we're going to be carbon neutral or zero emissions or, you know, pick your uh, pick your goal and objective. So, you know, we believe that each community really needs to evaluate their own goals and objectives for this kind of project. You know, goals could be environmental. They could be climate based or sustainability related. They could be economic or they could be socially driven. You know, a switch from a fossil fuel based program to a battery electric program. You know, you really need to carefully consider that. You know, it's proven to be a zero emission technology. So not to joke here because we all want clean air. But if air quality is a local goal, then this technology will help you quickly meet it. You know, and 
to the contrary that if near term economics is the highest priority, you know, especially with, you know, who knows what's going on with COVID and what things are going to look like next year from municipal budget perspective, then, you know, current higher startup costs of a program like this could rule that out. You know, I'm, I'm not saying it will, but, you know, again, look at your goals and objectives. You know, and lastly, if a municipal you know goal is to be socially driven and that's why they want to make a switch, then maybe a switch from a foreign fuel source like diesel to battery electric helps meet that social goal. You know, I would add that, you know, the entire value chain should be evaluated, though. You know, if you're switching to battery electric for climate based reasons, make sure your power grid is true to that goal. You know, let's let's make sure everybody realizes that more than 20 percent of electricity in the U.S., is still coming from coal-fired plants. So make sure whatever technology you pick meets all your goals. Excellent advice. Thank you very much, Don. Jonathan, I hate to end on you again here, <laughs> but I promised you, you get to start off on our next question. But what is, uh, what's Mac telling its customers in those early conversations and helping them identify what those crucial opportunities are? Sure. So to parrot what's already been said, right? Understand the reasons why you're doing what you're doing, but then once you commit, make sure you're committing into the long game uh, and that you're making those investments in the long term, that you're planning not just the next six or 12 months out, you're planning 24, 48, you know, 60 months out as you try to transition to electrification. Because the challenge is not only going to be on the municipality side, right, and or the, the, the private uh, private business side, it's also going to be on the OEM side because there's other investments we're going to have to make along with electrification, right? We're also going to have to talk about, you know, which is big on our on our plate, um, autonomous vehicles and automation as well and how that works within electrification. Also the ADAS, the driver safety systems and how that works with electrification as well. And it's, you know, it's one more powertrain for us to add, we're, you know, we're not replacing 100% diesel. Diesel is going to be around for quite a while. Um, and, and so we're still going to be promoting diesel. CNG is still an option and an alternative that a lot of folks are still using, particularly in the refuse segment. You know, and to the points made earlier by Don, maybe some folks are going to jump over CNG or some folks will transition through CNG. Um, so there's a lot of investments from a lot of different um, folks being made. And so, as, as I said, and as I started, when you're making this commitment, make sure you understand your goals and that you're playing for the long game, uh, you know, because that's where we are right now. And you need to understand what the payback is going to be and have a realistic expectation of that payback. Awesome. All right. As I promised, uh, you're going to start us off here to, to answer this next question. Now, we've talked a lot so far about, you know, how you guys partner with your municipal customers and some of the services that that you're offering. But let's maybe get a, a bit more specific, if you don't mind, and how you directly partner with your municipal customers in that decision making process, whether it's involving, you know, you're at the dealer level, at the corporate level you know, engineering, uh, you know, financial people, what exactly are you guys doing from a specific standpoint when these municipal customers are approaching you and, and showing an interest in electrifying their fleet? So thanks for the question. And as the others can tell you, this is happening every day, 
right? Every, you know, municipalities from from all over the country, in Canada, Mexico, elsewhere, are coming asking for what does it take for us to get into electrification. So the key is to make sure that you've got all of the functions engaged in the very beginning, and that means all of the partners. Um, maybe not so much, you know, as far as the utilities or anything like that to start with, but it goes back to what I talked about before, understanding the goals and the expectations before heading into the project, right? And then as long as everybody understands around the table, whether it's engineering, whether it's the fleet manager, whether it's their, their maintenance manager, the drivers play a very important role in this for us as well, whether it's the OEM engineering, um, and the financial folks, it's understanding and laying out that roadmap of of defining the reasons why you're doing what you're doing and then what success looks like and then defining how you know what winning looks like within that environment. And once that's set, right, and once everybody understands what they're signing up for, then it's getting everybody, all the other all the other assets around the table to start doing the work to get things uh, implemented. And it is about, you know, as, as was said earlier, it's not let's put a thousand trucks in at once. It's let's put it in, let's test it in different applications. Maybe it's not one, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 15, maybe it's 20. We get to try a lot of different things. We get to adjust on the fly as we go, make sure that we we perfect what we're trying to do and adjust as we go. And that goes back to, you know, flexibility, patience, cooperation. Definitely a theme that we've heard throughout this morning. So thank you very much, Jonathan. Uh, John, from BYD's perspective, uh, do you guys have any specific resources that you would like to share with us during this time at, uh, to help those municipal customers in that transition? Yeah, so really want to reiterate everything that Jonathan uh, mentioned. And um, what we do is we want to understand that core operation that the municipality is is trying to accomplish with boots on the ground. So. How are they currently operating those trucks? What are they doing with their fleet? How do we fit the electric platform into that operation seamlessly so that it doesn't disrupt the operation? We want this transition to be uh, easy for the end user. Uh, it needs to be able to operate with higher reliability, better performance, better efficiency, and of course with zero emissions. So. Right now, we can achieve a one-to-one -one asset transition on uh, some routes, but other routes we may not be able to achieve today with the current state of the technology. We want to find routes and operations that we can be successful with today. Um, we're not going to be able to do uh, a 150-mile route with 1,200 homes, but we can do some lower distance routes and be successful. So getting trucks into service today into routes we know we're going to be successful with, get the driver adoption, get the maintenance team's adoption, and bring everybody up to speed at a manageable pace. It's not realistic to say we're going to put a thousand trucks into service immediately. But what we can do is start putting trucks into service as older units need to be replaced. A lot of sites already have the necessary electrical service, so we can wire up chargers pretty quickly on the three-phase, uh, you know, normal three-phase, 480, 277, three-phase service. We can get those trucks into service, 
start getting everybody up to speed on how to operate them, get them comfortable with the technology. Uh, as the technology does continue to improve, we then continue to expand out into longer distance routes and grow the fleet together at a manageable pace. Great, thanks, John. Don, for you, um, as the body manufacturer in this, I imagine there's a, a lot of collaborative conversations with the chassis manufacturers at the same time that you're consulting with your municipal customer. But from your perspective as a body manufacturer, where where do you guys fit in this when working with your customers in helping on in those early decision-making conversations? Yeah, you know, Andy, as a body manufacturer, you know, you might think we have a little bit different role, but it's interesting where the leads come from. You know, many people will contact us directly and we'll work with with our, with the chassis uh, partners to kind of work out a deal. The chassis uh, partners might approach us and say, hey, let's talk about this. But, you know, you know, part of my 30 plus year career in the industry was spent as an environmental consultant. So between myself, our engineers and my regional sales managers, we actually help our customers kind of run the math and say, hey, does this thing make sense for your local community? You know, one truck in Alaska probably might not make sense. Uh, and we might say, hey, we'll talk about that one, you know, in, in, in a little while as the technology develops. Um, you know, but we'll we'll get in the weeds with them. We'll talk about their route structure. You know, we'll talk about route range. You know, we'll talk about payload. Um, we'll, we've spent a lot of time adapting, you know, John's BYD chassis to our uh, fully automated side loader. So there's a lot of technology, uh, you know, being brought into there and our engineers are working hard to make that happen. You know, we have, you know, after sales support and service is really, really important. So it's one thing to get one of these projects started and off the ground, but then how do you maintain it and keep it rolling? You know, at New Way, we have a team of, of field and factory-based service that support, you know, a 50-dealer network that kind of ranges all over the U.S., all of Canada, 15 foreign countries. You know, so we want to make sure that that support is there for after the sale to make sure that, you know, our bodies continue to perform like they did on the first day. And, you know, we've already adopted our rear loaders and our automated side loaders to the electric uh, environment. You know, very soon we're going to start working on our front end loader and our roto pack side loaders uh, to also be adapted to a battery electric. So, you know, we like to say all solid waste is local at New Way, and we're not afraid to kind of design and develop those products and options our customers require for the waste and recycling collection in their local communities. So that's kind of, you know, the level of support that we're willing to provide. All right. So, Don, I'm going to have you start here. And, and on the surface, this next question, which is a two-part question, may seem probably a little bit more specific to um, our chassis manufacturers on here. But we clearly know that the body manufacturers play an integral role in this whole process as well. So from your perspective, um, again, two-part question here. Other than emissions, what are the current benefits of electric versus your typical um, power source, diesel, CNG, propane, fuel cells, et cetera? And then the second part, um, besides battery life, what are some of the other areas of current electric uh, technology that are still evolving and improving and therefore should be taken into consideration by a community pondering a switch to electric? 
and I'm happy to repeat any of that too if you need to. <laughs> uh, thanks, Andy. So, you know, the benefits. You know, electric motor technology has been around forever. You know, it's very reliable. And when you compare it to internal combustion, there's a whole lot less fewer moving parts. You know, we've integrated all our body functions to optimize that battery electric environment. Our packing systems are very similar to their diesel powered siblings. You know, so operation, service, maintenance, you know, those things are pretty simple. You know, we heard this earlier, but another important benefit that these trucks offer is near silent running. You know, that offers a really, really quiet collection operation. So, you know, to Rocky's point, you have to provide some white noise to protect the public health and safety. You know, I, I think you're going to have a whole lot less noise complaints, but you might see complaints go up on the other side when someone didn't get their garbage to the curb in time because they didn't hear the truck. Because we all know people are kind of uh, queued up on that. But I think, you know, one of the biggest benefits is treating electricity as a renewable. And right now we're assisting one of our very large municipal customers who wants to use their own waste to energy facility to fuel their fleet. So that's, you know, that's truly closing the loop and using the waste that's collected on the curb to power that truck that then collects that waste. You know, so we're working hard with them right now to help them close the loop. To so the second part of that question, you know, things that still need to be improved, you know, include weight of the battery systems. You know, that continues to reduce and, and improve. So payloads are going to get better. And as previously mentioned, power grid infrastructure is critical. You know, just like a CNG time fill station, you know, we have to establish charging sites for an electric fleet. Um, and, you know, space is an issue, cost is an issue, you know, grid supply is an issue. So all those things have to be factored. But again, not insurmountable, as we heard both Robert and Rocky say, hey, they can tackle it, we can get there. You know, another thing to think about, too, is operator behavior. I mean, we believe that's a factor. The driver no longer has unlimited use of the packing system because there's a finite energy supply. So we think there's going to be specialized driver coaching that may need to occur because that driver could potentially be limited in the number of lifts or pack cycles available, particularly in a fully automated side loader environment or perhaps a front load environment. You know, and to help with that, our engineers are working on operator software enhancements and driver assists to help maximize battery life and make the collection operation more intuitive for that electric route environment. Um, and we're also working hard on our hydraulic systems, make them more efficient and less parasitic on the drive system. We don't want our hydraulic systems to lag and drain more power than, than really needs to happen. You know, but I will say today that the trucks that are in service are completing their routes as designed and they're returning to their depots at the end of the day with surplus charge left. So, you know, really, really exciting. The trucks that are out there today are working and they're working well. That's great That's news. Great. great news for the future. Jonathan, uh, coming back to you on this, would you like me to repeat the questions at all or do you, do you think you got them? I think I got them and I think okay. Don answered it in very completely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. Um, so, you know, the, the tick list is, is in a, a little bit repetitive, but, you know, reduced maintenance, uh, less moving parts, you know, by the thousands. Um, enclosed systems, you know, service or, or wear on brakes, 
uh, I think um, reduced noise uh, and the benefits to the drivers uh, certainly helps. I think the drivers end the day maybe less stressed than otherwise they would have been. Uh, but certainly there's also that that driver training that needs to go along with it. These these trucks have a lot of power and a lot of torque. And uh, we know guys like to mash the pedals, even though they may be only going, you know, 20 feet, <laughs> but mash and hard stop. Uh, you'll find that, you know, depending on how you set your regenerative braking, you don't even use the brake pedal to stop the trucks on, on, on where you're heading. So the driver training piece of it is good, but or, or is, is very powerful as well. Um, the other thing too is, is and maybe wasn't touched on, you know, directly, but was to the extent of, you know, somebody missing their their pickup because they didn't hear the truck down, coming down the road. Um, in a city like New York, maybe a city like Los Angeles and others, this really expands your operating boundaries potentially because of the lack of noise. You know, it allows you to collect uh, collect at uh, times that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have because of noise ordinances that a diesel wouldn't be able to operate in with as as, as well. So. We see opportunity there um, to expand, so that maybe you you don't have to replace one for one or one and a half for one. Maybe you can replace 0.75 for one as well because because of the way you're able to operate. But then again, you need to be able to have the range and the and the capacity. And we certainly look forward to meeting Rocky's challenge to us to plow snow. You know, 24-hour snow events in New York are a very emotional thing for a lot of different people. Uh, so we look forward to that challenge. If you're asking for one more piece of advice for other mun municipalities that are in the snow belt, don't use your refuse trucks to plow. <laughs> I kid, we'll solve it. We'll get it done. <laughs> All right, and finally, John, from BYD's perspective, uh in addition to all the obvious benefits of a zero emission truck, zero emissions, zero pollution, uh, zero carbon emissions, uh, there are a lot of other benefits to operating electric. And that comes with reduced operating costs and reduced maintenance costs and, of course, reduced fuel cost. So there's a financial benefit and a payback period to operating an electric truck. Uh, another benefit of electric is the fact that uh, they're very quiet. So you can operate trucks in a neighborhood uh, very quietly and, and not disrupt the, uh, the local population. In addition, safety is another major benefit of an electric truck. Again, with BYD iron phosphate batteries, we're confident in saying that our batteries are the safest uh, and most reliable uh, heavy-duty electric battery systems in the entire world. Um, safety is paramount for the adoption of a new technology. One event is one event too many. So that's why at BYD we take safety very seriously and we put all of our systems through rigorous safety testing to ensure that when you put these trucks into service, we don't have an issue. With electric trucks, you have significantly reduced maintenance costs and high reliability. And there are a couple different factors that uh, that are, are related to that. Because you have fewer moving parts with an electric platform, uh, you have less wear and tear, obviously, but also very low heat generation and very low vibration, which also lead to wear and tear of parts. This all adds up to uh, reduce wear and tear, 
and reduce maintenance as well as uh, reduce repair events with higher uptime. So reduced fuel costs uh, without having to burn diesel fuel uh, and reduced maintenance costs, higher reliability and improved uptime all are real benefits to operating an electric platform. At BYD, we're already on our generation three chassis. We've gone through design, prototype, test, production of Gen 1, design, prototype, test of Gen 2, and we already have Generation 1 and Generation 2 trucks out in the field right now working every single day. We're now going into Generation 3, which takes that proven propulsion system, the controls, the motors, the drive axles, and uh, Really, we're, we're, what we're doing now is putting more kilowatt hours on the truck. So uh, improving the, our battery system to be able to go out and work longer, do more work, and expand out into longer distance routes. Great. Thanks, John. Robert, I'm getting a vibe that uh, you'd like to add something to this as well. Yeah, I, I really want to touch on the emotional side of it because, I mean, I think our customers are connected to us with that diesel loud or cng loud vehicle coming down the, the street sometimes it works as an alarm system for them to get up for work uh, and i think the one that, that concerns me the most is the is the you know the nine ten year old kids that want to see that truck and they listen for that every day the, even the younger kids that want to see it so i think we're going to be making some audio recordings of the existing trucks that we could play like almost like an ice cream truck so that the we don't lose that connection with our community yeah, and God forbid the people that like to just walk around all day long looking down at their cell phones. Uh, we, we, you might want to be careful about those as well. Rocky, do you have any closing comments from this question? It, it, maybe not from that question in particular, but just want to point out, you know, Jonathan mentioned something about don't plow with your trucks. Um, <laughs> There's a real good reason why we do, and I and I think it's something that maybe should be considered by other municipalities. So during the winter months, we collect at night. We collect 24 hours a day. We collect three shifts a day. In the summer months, we collect mainly during the day shift. But in from November to April, we collect six to two, four to twelve, and twelve to eight. And the reason we do that in November to April is in case it snows. We don't have to call anyone in. We just go back to the garage and put a plow on the truck if it's not already on it and and shift from collection to plow. The people of the city of New York want snow plowed before it hits the ground. So, so in order to accommodate their their desires, we we do we collect at night and we're able to collect at night because we have packet idle which is a function of something that Mac did for us. Um, we're very, we, we pack at 800 RPMs. So the trucks is extremely quiet, not as quiet as electric, but extremely quiet. So we can collect at night. And if it starts to snow, the same guy that's collecting the garbage now plows the snow. And if other municipalities adopted that, I'm sure in many cases they have separate fleets for plowing. And for, and for snow hauling. And that may be a disadvantage to Mack Truck 
<laughs> because they may not need as many trucks. But these trucks are dual purpose, and they have to be because of what I just said. The public will not allow, will not allow us to wait a shift or two to go out and plow. It's not acceptable. So somehow or another, um, we have to get these trucks to plow. And we will. I know we will. Battery technology is already advanced, Jonathan, right? I mean, we're... Things that will beat the need for sure. Yeah, I mean, right, maybe not maybe not this winter, but by next winter. But, but my point really is, my, the reason I said this was because I think it's good to get that out to the public at large, to the municipalities at large, that there is a distinct advantage to that. And that was my closing thought. Thank you very much, Rocco. All right, well, uh, we have reached uh, almost the very tail end of our time, and we have one final question that I would like to pose to all the panelists. Um, you know, there's an old cliche out there that asks, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer to that obviously is one bite at a time. For municipalities considering a change to the refuse truck fleet and going electric, that decision and the associated process uh, can certainly seem daunting. Um, I know we've touched on a lot of things today that um, in in some way, shape or form are, are all kind of answering this question as well. But uh, just briefly on your, your closing thoughts here, what do you think should be the very first step a community should take in their electrification journey? And Robert, I'm gonna actually start with you if you don't mind. Not at all, Andy. Um, I think there's a couple key things. Set reasonable timelines. Don't put undue pressure on yourself because undue pressure creates, um, you know, mistakes. So give yourself a good window. Uh, engage with your utilities at an early at an early point in it, so you can start assessing the, the the power grid and knowing what's available. And and then if there is some infrastructure changes, then you can make those. Um, you work with the um, the power companies or the um, or the governmental agencies looking at grant funding and incentives in order to offset some of the costs and and always work with your with your manufacturers as a team to uh, to build that perfect vehicle so that going forward you have what you need in your fleet. Thank you, Robert. Rocco, how about for you? Uh, I think Robert hit it. You know, grant availability, utility discussions, and to, you know you need to get with your with the utilities right away. Um, grant funding availability, route testing, so that when the truck is built, it can handle the terrain that's at hand. Um, and I think I'm just being redundant by by saying uh, all all those things because Robert hit them all. So so I'm, I'm I would say that's about the best best advice we can give. All right. Well, guys, uh, at the sake of being three times redundant then uh, either of the three OEMs uh, have any last minute uh, advice that they would like to offer for any municipality that uh, is looking at this and what is that very first step that they should take? So I, I would just say, Andy, the easy answer, call John, Jonathan or myself. <laughs> maybe, maybe the better answer is look towards maybe a procurement process such as an RFP, a bid, or maybe even a cooperative, you know, purchasing agreement like Sourcewell. But however you get there, you know, work with and identify an experienced partner, a chassis provider, a body provider, or both as a team, someone who already has done it and has routes, you know, has routes running now. Great. Thanks, Don. 
John or Jonathan? Anything I to add? That was a, a, a perfectly down the middle answer, and I, I will leave it at that. <laughs> well done. First step for any community is put a couple trucks into service. Uh, you know, a lot of sites already have the 483 phase, which is the necessary electrical service for the charging. You can easily wire up a couple chargers and put some trucks into service and start getting everybody up to speed on the new technology. This is a manageable thing for people to do instead of trying to transition the whole fleet all at once. Start slow, put some trucks into service, learn, and grow from there. And we're here to help you do that. The time is now to put electric trucks to work, and BYD trucks are ready to go to work for you today. Awesome. And I'm, and I'm sure you'll be surprised at how, how well received the drivers will, will accept these vehicles. No question. Well, I tell you what, we have definitely reached the end of our allotted time for today's session. I want to extend a huge thank you to each of our panelists for their time and expertise on today's subject. I hope all of you watching found a couple of nuggets that will assist you and your municipality should you be considering a switch now or in the future. But I want to remind you that you don't need to go at this alone. There are tons of resources available to assist you and your stakeholders as you proceed down the path towards fleet electrification. I'd also like to remind you that we have an entire resources section associated with this session on the Social 27 platform. Please make sure you visit that section to see all that is available there. I'd also like to take this opportunity to let you know that SourceWell is here to help as well. SourceWell offers the most comprehensive portfolio of cooperative purchasing contracts for all your fleet electrification needs, from turnkey refuse trucks on electric chassis to charging stations and infrastructure. We have it all, and all of our contracts have been competitively bid and awarded on your behalf. Please visit sourcewell-mn.gov to learn more. Again, thank you to all our panelists and thank you for joining us today. There will be a short survey following this session with your participation and feedback are sincerely appreciated. Also, don't forget to mark your calendar for Waste Expo 2021, slated for April 26th through the 29th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Stay well and have a wonderful remainder of your day. Take care, everyone.